Welcome back to ATBS the podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Volmerick, and thank you for being here. I was introduced to today's guest by my mother, so thank you, Mom. My guest today is Lorraine Duval. Lorraine is a retired computer engineer, a mother, a grandmother, a feminist, an author, and an outdoor enthusiast. She is truly a woman of the Adirondacks. Just before we get started, here are a few ways you may choose to support this independent podcast. You can pick an episode that you've really enjoyed and text or email it to a friend. You can write a review, follow ATBS on Instagram, or click on the patron link and support us financially. All of it makes a difference and help us grow the ATBS community. So thank you very much. Lorraine, welcome to ATBS, the podcast. Thank you so much for carving out some time and joining me on the podcast. Well, thank you, Jeff, for giving me the opportunity. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. As you and I know, and the listeners don't know this yet, but we've had a couple of conversations and it's been interesting because from my perspective, my mother introduced us and I just reached out out of the blue and and then you get this phone call from this guy and and it's been fun to go through I guess the process of, you know, remembering, and a lot of people have this experience where they go, I don't really know if I want to talk on a podcast or if there's really anything for me to say. And it's been really enjoyable over a couple of conversations and then leading into today to get a little more comfortable with each other. And and I know you've said in our last conversation that you're a bit more comfortable now, you've done some other things. And so sure, let's, let's record and talk about the life of Lorraine Duvall and your books and your experiences and being an Adirondack woman and all those things. So I'm glad it works for you. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. I am thinking about it. I enjoyed that you and I talking and enjoying this process of deciding. Yes, I would like to tell my story in a different way in the podcast rather than in my book. Mm. So that's a good place to start. You've authored three books near as I can tell. It looks like you've authored some other articles and things like that, but I've read your most recent work and I, I got it shipped out to me real quick because I wanted to read it before this conversation. And that's finding a woman's place. But let's talk about the books. I think that's a great place to start. It'll set the groundwork for our conversation. Sure. Um, and you said I was in the computer field for what, 40 some years. And when I retired in about 2000, I said, okay, what am I going to do now? And I had been starting to write what I called memoir vignettes. And little pieces of my life that I thought my grandchildren might be interested in. Then I went to a workshop in Old Forge in the Adirondacks. And the teacher there said, hey, you know, you've got a book there with all these nice little memoirs and yes. So this, he was a coach, a writing coach. So I worked with him and we put together this first book. And it was a wonderful experience because it, he made me examine those parts in my life that were pivotal, what were important that changed the direction. And basically, that's the story. He learned, he taught me how to tell a story. So that is 
really my first book. And that starts out as a kid and knowing that I was a little different as a young girl growing up. And then as I became a teenager and started and got married and started working, and it was living through that process of having been born in 1938 and living through the 1950s and watching my mother and her friends be housewives and knowing I didn't want to do that and just living through that period. And that's really what my memoir is. It's about living through as a feminist, as the feminist movement was becoming, the second wave of the feminist movement was becoming a reality. And then how I got to the Adirondacks, which was a great turning point in my life and when I retired in 2020. And you had been, as I recall, from reading Finding a Woman's Place and doing some of my own research about you and your life that you'd gotten to the Adirondacks as a young lady, as a, as a younger woman. Yeah, as a Girl Scout. We went on a Girl Scout canoe trip in Upper Saranac Lake. And I've always remembered that. And that was my initial draw to the Adirondacks. And over the years, even I lived in Chicago, outside of Chicago for almost 10 years and um, always wanted to get back to upstate New York and in the Adirondacks and it was, it was a spiritual job and I visited as much as I could and then I could retire. Mm, yeah, and you grew up in Binghamton, right? Yeah, I went all through high school in Binghamton and my mother continued to live there until she died um, in 1995. And so I always had a connection there. And not that far, you know, lots of people think of New York. I'm from Lake Placid, New York, as you know. And, you know, when people hear that you're from New York or that you live in New York, the New York that most people think of is is Manhattan, right? The city. And it's such a vast and varied state geographically and on a whole bunch of different levels. It, it's so big and there's so much to it that... I feel like I'm of the Adirondacks, right? It draws me back all the time. And I love that. It seems to have some magnetic appeal to certain people. Not everybody, <laughs> but certain people. Yeah, so Binghamton is in what's called the southern tier of New York. And again, it was only about three hours from New York City. When I would tell people where I was from, they would, you know, I lived in Manhattan for a number of years and you know, Binghamton was certainly the boondocks. Why would anybody ever want to live there? <laughs> I spent time in, um, actually in Western Pennsylvania. I went to school there. And then I went to, um, as I said, in Chicago. And that's right. Everybody thought, you know, New York, that was New York City. Even people say upstate New York. And the upstate New York is... Um, you know, Poughkeepsie. Yeah, Westchester or something. The Adirondacks is not Poughkeepsie. It's not the Hudson Valley. (laughs) It certainly is not. As I like to say, sometimes when I'm there in Lake Placid in the summertime, and, and Lake Placid is a busy place. It's one of the busier places in the Adirondacks, but you can be there. And, and, and I often think to myself, imagine if the roads weren't here, you know, imagine if, if these roads weren't, you know, if the Northway wasn't, you know, in my case, you know, 30 miles away, in your case, whatever, 15 miles away. Um, and, and it makes everything really like it's not that hard to get into the Adirondacks. But 
But even at that, so sometimes I'm in there thinking, well, if the roads weren't here, imagine how deep in this we would be into these mountains and into these lakes and, and rivers and valleys. Right. And then the other thing that I think about pretty regularly is you really have to want to get to the Adirondacks. <laughs> like you don't just, you, you don't just kind of stumble across that part of the world. I don't think, I mean, some, I'm sure, I'm sure some do, but you know, it's not an easy place to, to really get to, or to get deep into. You got to want to, you got to want to get in there and then you got to want to stay. Yep. And find a way to stay. And find a way to stay, because as we all know, it's it's not an easy place to make a go of it, to make a living. And on that note, there are, I've become familiar with a, a group of young ladies who, one of them happens to live in an apartment that I own in Lake Placid, and she graduated from St. Lawrence in 2016. So young lady works on the trail system, the High Peaks trail system. She's a ski patroller at Whiteface. And she'll be the ranger, the park ranger, and that might not be the the proper term, but she'll be in residence at Lake Colden this summer. You know, and she and I are talking about doing a podcast, and she has a, a an Instagram account called Women of the Adirondacks or Women of the ADKs. And we were talking about scheduling the other day, and she ski, ski patrols two or three days a week, and then she works in the in the high peaks in the wintertime two or three days a week working on trails and things like that. And it's indicative of what it takes in many cases to be in the Adirondacks. It's going to take a few jobs and it's going to take a real desire to put enough pieces together financially to be able to stay there and carve out a life. Right. Well, I actually have a friend who, who used to be the caretaker at Colden, Lake Colden in the winter. Really? And she had a number of different jobs. And I'll tell her, her name is Margaret. And we always said Margaret was our hero. But Margaret has now decided, she's retired herself, she's now decided that she's going to go to way up in north in Maine because the Adirondacks is too crowded. Right. <laughs> I love that. Is it 240,000 people live within the blue line of the Adirondacks? No, it's more like 130,000. Got it. So 130 plus thousand people live within the Blue Line. And for those listeners who don't know, the Blue Line surrounds 6 million acres. <laughs> so, or defines 6 million acres. So funny when Margaret says, it's getting a little too crowded. I think I need to go. I need to go further afield. There's no question that the high peaks are being loved at an alarming rate. So what I say, though, when I can't get out onto Route 73 because there's so much traffic is, okay, I can do this for a month or two because then it leaves the rest of the time for me and for those of us who live here so that the tourists support the businesses that most of them around here stay open all year. If tourists didn't come, most people wouldn't be able to live there, right? I read a book by Bill McKibben called Wandering Home, talking about, you know, a couple of generations ago, people who lived in the Adirondacks, the tourist industry wasn't enough to keep it going, right? So you either had to, you, know, you had to plant your own food and you had to carve out a life. And now we're reliant on people coming through. That can be a blessing and a curse, as you just said, right? Like in the middle of the summer, as I say to my mother, when she looks out across the lake, we're fortunate that we have a, a little cabin in the middle of Lake Placid that 
our daughters or the eighth generation in our family to be able to spend time there. So my great-great-grandfather, great-great-great-grandfather bought it in the late 1800s for a couple hundred bucks. And, you know, Lake Placid, the lake gets very busy in the summertime, but generally speaking, when the weather's beautiful and it's a weekend day and it's in the middle of the summer, it can get pretty busy. You know, as well as I do, the number of really nice days in the Adirondacks, like where it's sunny all day or <laughs> few and far between. And I'll say to my mother, well, you know, if not now, when? It's a resource that is beautiful. You got to believe it's going to be appreciated. And the same as you just said, there are so many evenings and days and times of the year in the spring and in the fall and, and during the summer where they're just, there's hardly anybody around and you can really enjoy it. We live on, on 73 acres. It's five miles from downtown Keene. And it's very quiet. It's off of a road called Stylesbrook Road. It's a beautiful area, and it's not very developed. But that is the curse also now, because we do not have broadband. We do not have high-speed internet. So we have satellite. And it's not adequate for streaming. And we're basically at a very big disadvantage now because of the COVID crisis and having to do so much on the internet. And I equate this to electric rurification that happened in the 50s in this area where I live now. That is, there wasn't electricity until the 50s, and then there was the federal um, basic mandate that everyone be um, brought, electricity being brought into everyone. So we're looking at that as a model for bringing in high-speed internet to rural areas. So it's not just us, but it's a real big problem in rural areas to have high-speed internet. I imagine that's economically driven. When you only have 130,000 people within 6 million acres, who, who's going to suggest that pushing broadband into everybody down every dirt road or down, you know, up onto the hill or whatever is financially viable? Yeah, Como's trying to make it viable, and he has a big program, but it's it's just not working. So that's where we look talk about utilities, which is what happened with the electricity. They were utilities rather than just competitive. Well, and, and to your point, right there you are, and, and I know you and your husband or partner are in your 80s, and and then we've got COVID, and so we're we're kind of we're locked in. And boy, if you don't have it, then you're there's some isolation. Well, we do. We are able to do most everything, but streaming. And I like movies, so I have to go down to the library or sign into the DVDs from Netflix. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Interesting. It makes me think of the ladies who who stepped out and and started the Woman's Place. Can we talk about that a little bit? Because I think that's a. I mean, what a what a story! What a reality! What a time! You know, and and I'm curious. Like the 70s and early 80s, and I've you say it in the book, and I've heard you say it now, like the second wave of the feminist movement. I've done a little bit of research understanding that the first wave was kind of back in the in the teens and the 20s, if I'm not mistaken. Certainly suffragettes, right? Suffrage and women's voting rights is what I understand. And then there's this second wave. And then I'd love to talk about the book, hear your thoughts on the book and, and your experience, and then... And then if we can pick up on, you know, okay, where are we? Are we in a wave now? Like, anyway, let's talk about the book. Um, okay, first of all, I'd like to, to say about you being a male and, and reading it and 
um, being understanding the feminist movement, I've gotten more compliments and good reviews from male readers than I have from females because I think that the the males are saying, "Oh my goodness, I didn't realize that," and and oh, that's a good story. Where some of the women have lived through it, even as much of a revelation as for some of the men. So I've I've appreciated the comments I've gotten. That makes really good sense that, you know, because we don't know. We we haven't. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, And I actually had an editor for the book and he said to me, oh, I think of all the dumb things I did when I was a teenager. <laughs> right. I imagine if you're writing a book and, and it raises people's consciousness, you got to you got to feel good about that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the book. So I started out, I've always been interested in intentional communities and I kept hearing these little bits and pieces about intentional communities that have been in the Adirondacks. And so I started to do some research, and I was just going to do an article on that intentional communes and so forth in the Adirondacks. And then I started doing research on a woman's place, which is a woman's commune collective that was started in 1974. In uh, actually, the beginning was in Paradox, New York, and then they moved to Athol, New York, which is near Lake George. I, as a seventy, I mean, I in the nineteen seventies, recently divorced, and moved back to upstate New York, and on this woman's retreat in the Adirondacks, and knowing I still love the Adirondacks and I had any reason to go there. I was, was welcome. So I went with my daughter to this woman's retreat called Woman's Place. And that is, I still remember this wonderful woman who took me under her wing. And I visited there again on weekends for a couple of times. Well, the last one in 1980. And I thought, well, I'll see if I can find any of the women who were part of this. Well, I did. And I did a lot of research and and thank goodness again for the internet, I was able to find people who died and their obituaries on the internet and find who wrote notes about, oh, I lived with so-and-so at a woman's place in 1976. Then I would look on Facebook and found this woman on Facebook, and this is the most fun I had. I found this one on Facebook. Her name is Judy. I call her Judy. And uh, I wrote her Facebook message, and I said, well, you're the woman who, was, who lived at a woman's place. And she wrote back and said, who wants to know? <laughs> so, she said, yeah. <laughs> so I followed you. I totally gave her the background of what I was doing research on a woman's place. This is fairly early in my research time. And she said, well, I don't know. I didn't have such a good time. And don't talk to her because she didn't like me and she said but you may want to read my blog well she had a blog that was on the internet which had all sorts of details about her experiences at a woman's place from 1974 to about 1978 and I continued to communicate with her and we've actually become good friends She's um, fairly ill right now, so she could not come to any night book readings, but she, she wanted to. She was good buddies then. But that was really the beginning of finding the women who lived there. And then 
there turned out to be a lot of good history. There was an original article in 1974 in the New York Times that talked about a woman's place. And then some in the local papers, like in Glens Falls. So I got some background historically of the women who lived there. But the best part was I've got new friends now. I've had friends that from Colorado can't wait until I can get back on the train to go to see my daughter in Idaho and stop by. He said, oh, come to our book group and give a talk at our book group in Boulder. It's been great. Well, it sounds like it, it opened up a whole new world as far as relationships for you, which is, I think, a fascinating thing that happens in our lives, especially as we get older. That's not the norm where, you know, at some point in our life, and I'm in my late 50s, you know, it's not like we're out there looking for new best friends, you know, new buddies all the time, but to have written a book and done all the research and then have these, have these women who, like you just said, oh yeah, when you come out, you know, like you said, you've, you've got new friends, which is great, which is great. Matt Seiler here, lover of a good competition. One of the other guests on Jeff's phenomenal podcast threw a gauntlet trying to make his episode the most popular on the phenomenal ATBS, the podcast series. Being the frequent guest on the only sub-series, SFAO, I want to make sure that I win. And by winning, Jeff wins. And by Jeff winning, we all win. So please like, share, own, make sure that it gets the popularity it demands as ATBS rules the world. So you and I talked about this, uh, and I'll put websites so that people can go and they can find where to order your book. And I highly recommend Finding a Woman's Place. It opened my eyes. You know, I think back to that time in my life, and I was a young, I was a young kid. I turned 16 in 1980, but I was in the Adirondacks. You know, I was in Lake Placid. My mother was single mom at that point, and, you know, putting all the pieces together and making things work. And it feeds our brains and makes us think, at least in my case, you know, gave me some, hmm, what was going on at that time in my life with the women who I know, you know, family. And it, and it really makes you think. And then it, then I fast forward to where we are today. And I'm looking at a, I'm looking at a particular page on the internet. And I think this is your quote and it's quoted on the Veteran Feminists of America, Inc. website. And it says, all my life, I felt a need for women to gather, share stories, and support each other. It's as relevant now as it was 40 years ago. Is that something that you would think that you had said? It, it is in quotation marks, but it doesn't necessarily say that it's you. Well, it, it used to talk about not pretending to know about um, women um, in the movement. I don't really know what it's like to be, be a 40-year-old woman now. I know somewhat because my daughter, is in a, she's a, a PhD in math, and she's in a professor of mathematics in Boise State, and she's certainly experienced discrimination. And also my granddaughter, who is now almost 20, has in certain ways. But I don't really know their world. And I tell them, about some of the things I experienced, like you don't really know, which is really a basis of why one of the reasons I wrote the book is to say this is what it was like in the 60s and 70s and 80s. That um, I don't know the answer to that. What it's like to be a 40 year old. 
all I can do is really tell them what it was like when I was growing up. You know, and I, I can see with Kamala Harris, and uh, I'll tell you this little story. <laughs> so here's my daughter, who lives in Boise, Idaho, and so I haven't now not seen her for over a year now, and it's pretty upsetting. But we're both watching the inauguration, and I noticed myself that during the inauguration, here was Joe Biden and Kamala Harris with high-heeled shoes on, so that when they walked down the stairs, they always had to have somebody male helping them down the stairs because they couldn't walk on their own. Interesting. I saw that myself. And then I talked to my daughter a day later, and she brought it up. She said, did you see the high-heeled shoes? So she got it. First of all, why did they feel they needed to have high-heeled shoes on? And maybe, I don't know why, but that's little things that I see now, and I think, we haven't gotten by that. Yeah, wow, the, you know, perspective and, you know, having conversations like this, I think are really helpful because, geez, you know, I hadn't thought of that. I didn't see that the same way that you see that. I watched the inauguration. I was enthralled. I was proud and and moved for sure. But I didn't see, you know, I didn't, that didn't, that piece didn't, didn't resonate with me until you just said that. And you go, oh yeah, now that makes sense. So I mentioned like the second wave of the feminist movement, kind of seventies, right? Can you help me come forward to, you know, 2021? It feels like we're in the midst of a feminist movement presently. I mean, it feels like there's a, a strong movement, but I, I don't know where we are. Is it is it the third wave? Is it the fourth wave? Do you know? Can you shed light on that? I've um, been talking actually some of my friends and reading kind of feminist literature. It's, hey, you've got to be out front more than you are. Like, is there really a movement or is it just a few women and men who are saying, hey, we need to do something different. And why is Kamala Harris the first woman vice president? Why didn't we elect a woman as president? Where's the movement? I don't see the movement. Mm. I see the need, but not the movement. Got it. This, just this morning, I'm, actually, I'm in a writing group where we meet once a week by way of telephone, and we share some of our stories. And just this morning, one of the women talked about the consciousness raising group that she was in in the 70s and how it affected her. I don't see that same consciousness raising going on. Maybe with this woman that you talked about earlier, about the woman in the Adirondacks. See, it's happening and I just don't see it, but I don't see a movement. Interesting. Okay, so one of the thoughts that I have is... So this young woman up in Lake Placid who started, you know, Women of the Adirondacks on Instagram, and she started the the group, if you will. Basically, it started, she and some girlfriends were out mountain biking. They were aware of some other people in the Adirondacks that were promoting, you know, mountain biking or activities or whatever, and they hadn't showcased any women. It was all men. They decided that that didn't make a whole lot of sense because there are all these 
young women, you know, her peer group, she's in her mid twenties. So her peer group of which there seem to be many in the Adirondacks of these women who are carving out lives. And what she said to me was, she said, I just wanted to kind of brag about my friends because they're pretty badass. Like they're doing really cool things, whether they be farming or whether they be, you know, transversing the high peaks in the winter time or, you know, whatever it is they might be doing. She just wanted to kind of brag about them. And she said that kind of laughingly, but, but let's get it out there. And, and so what I said to her is, you know, you're not the first people, you're not the first women in the Adirondacks to feel this way, to be independent, to be capable, to feel like there, it would be nice to connect, gather, share, support. You're not the first. And I, and I didn't say it in, you know, I don't say that in a negative way. I just say that there's a long line, a long lineage, generations of women that have kind of put their stake down in the Adirondacks and made it work. One of the things that I haven't quite figured out yet is it would be really fun to make the connections, right? Where I'd introduce you to Caitlin and, and there would be these, you know, and then what does that look like? I don't know whether that's a, you know, a weekly phone call or, or when COVID passes, is that a gathering? Is that, you know, ways for younger people to connect with people who've been through, could be you and the, and the women's place where you had experiences there in the late seventies. And here are these young ladies that are doing things now in the Adirondacks and, wouldn't it be cool if they could connect with others who I think some continuity and, you know, I, I'm rambling a little bit, but I'm not the one that's, you know, I'm not suggesting that I have the movement in hand, but, but it does seem like if there's connection and gathering and sharing that there could be more support. I don't know that that makes a movement, but certainly support. Well, you know, I, I appreciate that because I feel like, I would love to, I'd actually love to get together with your friends. A few years ago, the Adirondack Research Consortium, which has been in existence for a number of years, they put on a, a special workshop for women in the Adirondacks. And it was held at Paul Smith's College. There may have been two of them, but I remember the one in, in Paul Smith's College. And they had people from, women from St. Lawrence, and mostly from the Pakistan area, talking. And some of the women who are leaders in the Adirondack environmental community talk. And I had some really great conversations with some of the younger women there. And it seemed like we could have gotten something started, but we, we didn't. I wonder if your friend is one of those that was part of that Adirondack Research Consortium. Yeah, it could be which I think was organized by a man, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> right. And there's some interesting things going on over in the, at Paul Smith's. I've been impressed with some of the things that they're putting together athletically and with athletic programs and keeping people in the Adirondacks. And, but there's no question that I will connect you with Caitlin because I've, I've talked to her about you and now I've talked to you about her and, and she's going to come on the show and we're going to have a conversation and, you know, and, and then there are others, you know, all over. So it'll be interesting to see how it evolves. And, you know, I, I'll be back in Lake Placid this summer and I can well imagine a bit of a project of 
you know, more episodes and more, more conversations with people who are, you know, in and around the Adirondacks who are of all ages, different socioeconomic backgrounds and, and, um, you know, but making it work, whether they've come to the Adirondacks, you know, at retirement or like in Caitlin's case, you know, mid twenties and making it work. Why do you think the Adirondacks, like what is the, what is going on? <laughs> Maybe it's going on everywhere in the world. And I'm just familiar with the Adirondacks kind of feels to me like there's an Adirondack thing going on. What do you think? Well, I understand how you can feel that way. And I think that's, Maybe one of my, the attractions that I had is for the Adirondacks. It's, it's the, the feeling of independence, first of all, whether it be a, a male or female, but maybe even more of a, a woman who feels of being in a place where you can independ, you can be independent, rather than being in the suburban housewife role. So all of a sudden, you can be something different, whether it be an Adirondack guide. Certainly, Anne LaBastille was one of my mentors in a way, in that the, what, what she did in being an independent woman was very much oriented towards what I wanted to be. And I went to a couple of workshops that she had at Sagamore, Great Camp Sagamore, and Racket Lake. And there were a lot of women there. They were all independent women. It was retreats called Women in the Woods. So that was promoted that way as we've talked about before, in my second book, where I write about paddling in the Adirondacks, and a group of women got together. I didn't know many at the time. And we got together and started paddling our canoes as independent women. We really bonded on our first canoe camping trip where we went to Little Tupper Lake and came back in the middle of a hurricane. <laughs> her name was called Isabel Six and so we were so proud of ourselves we are now the Isabel Six and we have every year gone out and done our own thing as independent women now at the time I was we went out the first year we went out I was 65 so I'm 82 now so you can do the math and the oldest one at that time was 80 and here's this 80-year-old who, through the years, I mean, she would bring her own food. She wouldn't even eat with us because she was so independent. <laughs> and through the years, she went with us, and I certainly couldn't do now what she could do when she was 82, and she was absolutely great. Now she's 97 or something, and she's living in Saranac Lake, the Will Rogers in Saranac Lake the retirement community. And I was just talking with her this morning. She said, ah, have you been out cross-country skiing? She said, oh, I want to go. Think about me when you go cross-country skiing. <laughs> like, it, was almost, it was only about two years ago that she was still doing it, but she isn't doing it now. But she just so wishes that she was still out there doing what we had all done together. Yeah. Like my mom, who is right on the cusp of 84, I think she turns 84 in about a week. And... You know, I'll go, you know, hiking in with one of my daughters or something, and, and she just so very much would like to do that, you know, like climb Whiteface. Or last year, I went down the Colorado River and was on the river for 21 days, and she's like, oh, I just so wish I could do that, right? And, and I think that's a very much a sign and a, 
kind of a signature almost of the strong independent Adirondack woman. Like, oh, you know, I did it and I did it and I did it as long as I could possibly do it. And now I do it. Think of me when you go out and do it. Right. I love, I love that. Well, I now have some younger, what you call younger friends. Like yesterday I went out cross country skiing with a, my younger 70 year old. <laughs> they kind of take care of us. Right. The 70 year old take care of us. Even this summer we go on places, we go boating, we go on a um, canoe. And they would go places where we wouldn't have to have four carries for our canoes, that we could just be in one pond at one time. And this cross country skiing week, we're going out tomorrow. To the, on the Peninsula Trail to go snowshoeing, but the younger ones are there because I, I feel that that is needed, and they're just so great. Like if I fell, they would be there to help me get up. Right, and they're supporting us as hopefully we supported the older ones. <laughs> yeah, what goes around comes around. We hope. We hope. It's great to hear you talk about the Peninsula Trail because. Uh, I was talking to my mom mm, yesterday or the day before, and and I said, "So, how's your cross country skiing?" And and the Peninsula Trail is generally where she puts her cross country skis on and goes out to the dam. And I think she was going to go do that yesterday or the day before. Oh, good. Maybe I'll see you there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, so in praise of quiet waters, I like that's that's book number two. That's you referenced the Isabel Six. And I think for the listeners who aren't familiar with the Adirondacks, and I guess some of this might be a little bit lost on, I don't know if some of it will be a little lost on the non, the, the people not familiar with the Adirondacks, but the Adirondacks are full of water. <laughs> There's no shortage of water in that part of the world, right? Lakes and streams and and rivers and, and dammed up rivers and, and ponds. And it is a moist place and lends itself very much to being able to go paddling, whether it be kayaking or, or canoeing in these, um, as you have for so many years in, you know, small one person, lightweight canoes. Can you talk about the Isabel six a little bit? Talk about in praise of quiet waters. Um, yeah, well, the, the title, the in praise of quiet waters is, is there on purpose in that this, my book started out really as kind of an environmental book and how important it is for those of us who like to paddle on quiet water, is that there aren't these loud motorboats running around. And this search for water, be able to paddle my canoe on um, streams and lakes and rivers that um, do not include motorboats was, was, was my search. That was really what I wanted to document. And it's doing that, the recognition that a lot of my paddling adventures were having to do with, with women, and specifically the Isabel Six that I mentioned earlier, and how we've continued to support each other in, as those of you who have not been in solo canoes where you have to sit in the bottom, getting in and out of canoe is very difficult. <laughs> so in our later years, what we've done is, is we've gone out and we literally help each other get in and out of the boat. And so that we can, once we're in the boat, we're, we're just um, right there. We, we, 
couple years ago, maybe it was last year, we went to on the Sanex River and we put in at yes, you'll know the second time. And as we were coming out and helping each other get out of the boat, there were another number of other women who were there waiting to put their kayaks in. And um, we started talking about the Isabel Six, because we were five of us there, talking about the Isabel Six and what we'd done. And they said, how can you keep doing that? Oh, that's wonderful. What's your secret? And I said, we're Adirondack women. <laughs> and they all just went up. I mean, they got it. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is within that, Lorraine, the, the geography, the place, the independence. There's no question that there's something there. And you just hit the nail on the head, right? When you mention it to others, like, oh, yeah, well, we're in Adirondack women. And, mm-hmm. and that's been going on for generations. And I love the fact that it does. And I, I know for sure that I will do whatever I'm able to do to support um, and, and, and connect because I think community is a big, if there are independent groups of people out and about and, and lots of people want to be independent, but they don't know about each other doing wonderful things, whether it be paddling or whether it be getting together to tell stories or cross country skiing and supporting each other. And then they just don't know, right? Like I imagine Caitlin and I don't want to speak for her, but I imagine there are a group of young women in the Adirondacks who would thrill to connect with other generations of Adirondack women, for sure. You said it just a moment ago, you'd love to meet her. She said it in a conversation, she'd love to meet you. For me, that's kind of the, okay, Jeff, the thing to do is to is to continue down this path and do the best you can and and see what ways there are of, of connecting and introducing and in some ways, step out of the way, <laughs> you know, then get out of the way right. yeah. And, yeah. and let things evolve. But I would like to say, so I've been involved in a number of years and on the board of actually protect the Adirondacks. And until, rec- until recently, I'd say 90, 90% of the environmental organizations were headed by men. And now, still very difficult to find women who are interested and or qualified to be on boards of the Adirondack Environmental Organization. Just in the last couple of years, I've noticed more and more women coming up. And, but it's still concerning for me to not have those women. So that if I knew more women that are interested, and this would be a reason to connect with others, then it would. It isn't that our board is not um, discriminatory in a sense, it's finding women that are willing to step up. Well, in, in a place, we've said it a, a number of different ways, and the Adirondacks is not a heavily populated area. And so you might have a group of people that are having a conversation in Keene. There might be another conversation happening in at Paul Smith's. It's not all super connected. Yeah, that's an interesting project or subject or, you know, to talk to Caitlin about too, right? Like here you are, ladies, a whole bunch of them in their probably 20s and 30s. And if they were to hear from 
someone like yourself, my mother falls into a similar category in certain ways, you know, has been very much an activist in her many decades of time in the Adirondacks that, you know, these are the things that need some attention or could use your attention young. If the younger people are aware of it, which they may very well not be. So there's, I think awareness is where it kind of starts, right? Well, that's a great point. Yeah. You've been active there for as long as you have. My mom, Georgia has been active for as long as she has. And, and then there's this observation that you have about the environmental agencies and, and okay, well, where are the women? So uh, interesting. I've made notes. That's going to be a conversation that happens with, with Caitlin and I'm sure it'll open things up and I'd love to, I'll love to connect the, I'm going to see if we see what I can do to connect as many people as I can. It'll be fun. Okay. That's great. Yeah, that's great. I love it. The other thing that Adirondack wise, and whether this stays in the podcast or not, I don't know, but I grew up in Lake Placid and I grew up on Lake Placid. So as I said, we had this cabin, which we still have in the middle, uh, you know, on Buck Island in the middle of the lake. Well, the Adirondacks are huge. We know that. And I don't know, sometime in the past decade ago, I was doing a lot of water skiing and I've water skied all my life, but I started to do some tournament water skiing and get back into competition. And I was in my mid to late forties. And I got to know a guy in Saranac Lake who has become a really, really good friend. And I would go over to his marina on Lake Flower and get in his boat and go across Lake Flower through the Narrows and then come out into like Oceda, Lake Oceda. And I'd never been there before. <laughs> you know, as the crow flies, it's about seven miles from Lake Placid. Right? Like it's, it's literally right there. I guess it was maybe two years ago I went and we were on Upper Saranac. I think that's where you went as a as a Girl Scout, right? Upper Saranac? Right. I was on Upper Saranac and I was in my buddy's boat and we were out there and I'd never been there either. Oh my goodness. It's so bizarre that we get in these little plate, like geographically, even you know, the Adirondacks are a very broad, very big place, but we can become kind of, not isolated, but very much like this is my zone where I, you know, I became a 46er when I was 13 years old. So I was familiar with the high peaks and I was in Lake Placid and then I was a ski jumper. So Lake Placid was base camp, but it was very much centered around, I don't know what the radius was, but the radius wasn't very, very big. So it's fascinating. I think it happens a lot, right? Like people are in the Southern part of the Adirondacks and they're not familiar with another part. So I say all those things because I think there's some connection that can be made. And I just use the example of being on a different piece of water and having it be so close by, but not be familiar Hopefully we can open things up. I'll do whatever I can do. I know that. Great. Great. Really appreciate this. Oh, I appreciate it too, Lorraine. I look forward to meeting you this summer. It's not far away. Um, enjoy your skiing and your snowshoeing. And um, I'm, of course, going to let my mom know that we we connected. And, and I'm so grateful that she called you and you were willing to take my phone call. So thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode with Lorraine Duvall. 
And thanks for your interest in ATBS, the podcast. I sure appreciate it. We will catch you here next time.